Hey, what's up, buddy? Hey, brother, what's up? I'm good, Jay. Not too bad. Fucking sleepy Joe over there, man. You you sure you got, I mean, you sure got the energy to do this? We can always fucking figure <laughs> something else out. I know, bro. I was shattered this morning. I was up early, so. Yeah, I mean, well, I ain't slept, so. I'm just kidding. You got fucking dozens of years on me and fucking tons of prison time, and you're not on Adderall, so. Hey. Oh, you are on Adderall? <laughs> And I was saying it. Yes, Rob. Oh, what's up, Rob? This fucking guy. All right, are you there? Can you guys hear me? Yeah, yes, I can Mike. hear you. Did you tell him I said hello, or are you just you just gonna sit over there and not not say a fucking word? Wait, what did you say? I said, did you tell him I said hello, or are you just gonna sit over there and not no. say a fucking word? Ian said hello. There you go. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Hi. 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 Right on. Well, what's up, fellas? Been a minute, guys. Yeah, it has. All right, feels like mm. it anyway. I mean, it's probably only been like two weeks, but I mean, not hey, fucking having my weekly uh, wise guys hideaway with you has been fucking rough. Oh, so what have you guys been up to? Nothing much. Uh yeah, this and that. <laughs> this and that. Wow. This and that. This and that. No, I've been up to quite a lot, but um it's it's kind of all to do. Um we've just published the latest um Mafia news on NCS um that I've just been working on this week. So um yeah, yeah. your uh, your professional podcast in the entertainment sector. What uh, what mafia news is going on this week, Dave? Um Caught me right out there, Rob. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, no, I, I try to. Um, obviously, you've got the maxi trial that's going on over in Italy at the moment um, with the Andrangheta. Um, but uh, I, I try to kind of look at more, um, take a different approach to what was going on in the news. So there was <laughs> there was a a, a, a five man hit over in Mexico. Um, the guy that investigated the murder of, or sorry, who investigated the suicide of Robert Calvey, who didn't believe it was a suicide and believed it was the um, uh, Sicilian Mafia that actually killed him because of his involvement with the his bank and the Vatican. Um, Jeff Katz, his name was, he died um, yesterday. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, and there's a there's a list of um, Robert De Niro's top ten films out. So it really is just trying to take a sort of different view of the news, if you like. What's uh, what's the, what they rank as De Niro's top film? What one? Sorry, mate. I said, what did they rank as uh, De Niro's top film? 
number one, oh, I can't remember what number one was now. Um, it was an old one. Goodfellas was in the top uh, five. Uh, Godfather 2 was in the top five. Was uh, it uh, Mean Streets? I have it in front of me when it's screaming. I said, was it, uh, was it Mean Streets? Do you know what? It might have been. I think it was. Yes, it was. Yeah, Mean Streets. Was rubbish. God, I hate that movie. Like, Oh, this would please you then, because the Irishman was number two. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> great. Fuck great. Irish Irishman. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, it, I mean wouldn't, I, it wouldn't surprise me, to be honest. I don't think the Irishman was as bad as everybody makes it out to be. I know. I think it's more because it's it's not a true story. It's not the true story, which is why I think everybody hated it. But if it was a true story, I think everybody would like it a lot more. I'd still say go fuck yourself. <laughs> no, for real, man. Nothing says directorial masturbation like a four and a half hour fucking gallivant down old timer. Like, I mean, it's not the a type of movie you can watch over and over again, like Godfather and stuff. But um, I don't know. I I wasn't the first time I seen it. I wasn't bored at all throughout it. Yeah, yeah I, I thought, thought it was. I thought I don't know. It just it was too much. It was too. I thought. I mean, I felt that way about uh, Tarantino's new work too. I didn't like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So well, number five was The Godfather. I've now got it up. So number five was The Godfather Part Two. Um, number four was Goodfellas. Fellas. Uh, number three was number three was and then you've got then the Irishman number two, and uh, Mean Streets mean number street one. Wait, so uh, you did you say Taxi Driver was in there? Taxi Driver was number three. Yeah, for sure. That's uh, and Mean Streets is number one. That's what I'm saying, man. Yeah. It's like oh, that's, this is it's, a proper that's... messed up list. Preposterous. I mean, I guess not. They're gonna give it to Mean Streets because that's what made him. That's like giving Pacino. Uh, it's either gotta be because I'm pretty sure when they rank Pacino's top shit, I'm pretty sure uh, Dog Day Afternoon. Um, if it, I probably doesn't beat uh the Godfather. Don't get me wrong, probably, but doesn't beat the Godfather Part One. Well, you've but, got you've got American Hustle at number six. Number seven is Raging Bull. Uh, number eight is The Deer Hunter. Which is an incredible film. Um, yeah, that's a good film. Nine Brazil, which, what? <laughs> and yeah. number 10 is Silver Linings Playbook from 1981. Yeah, I, I, haven't, I haven't disagree with this one. It's been a man forever, isn't it? With Danilo? Who, who fucking, who got the commission this list? Who the fuck, what? Uh, the organization was um, uh, Metacritic. Um, obviously, just one of these online, these online. Um, organizations, but yeah, it's, it's, it was just something different, as I say. Um, and and obviously to create a discussion, which is exactly what it's just done. <laughs> so, it yeah, it's got me angry already, is what it's got me. It's fucking a well, I knew that. as soon as I saw the Irishman at number two, I thought, oh no, Ian ain't gonna be pleased. Fuck that. Right. I mean, like the, the Irishman, yeah, is one thing, but the motherfucker did spend like 40 million or 400 million or whatever it was, something stupid on the movie. What pisses me off is Mean Streets being number one. I re- I can't stand Mean Streets, dude. I no, really I can't. Love mean Streets. Scors- Scorsese on cocaine just wasn't for me. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like Taxi Driver's a real hard watch. The only time I think I ever sit through Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, and Mean Streets is when, like, I'm given the breakdown of, like, De Niro's dossier throughout his career to some, like, some girl or, you know, some one of my buddies or somebody that I just meet at work. And they're all like, yeah, I've heard of Taxi Driver and yada, 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 or I've heard of Mean Streets, but I've never actually watched it. And then I'm like, well, fuck. And then, you know, I go into my collection and, like, here we go again. You know what I mean? But every time, like, I'm like, this is fucking, uh, 
But I, I'd, I'd argue that Godfather 2 is probably the greatest mafia film of all time. And yet, I, that's, and that's number I'll five. Um, and you've got Goodfellas, and don't get me wrong, Goodfellas is a fantastic film, but it's not as good as The Godfather 2. Yeah, um, I think I think I personally think it, it is, and it's better because I've never had a film be able to take people who have no no real standpoint on the mafia, no real knowledge, no real nothing about it, and walk them through and leave them with a, a, a at least a half ass sense of actual real like knowledge of of the life you know what i mean like nothing in the godfather nothing in the godfather 2 is ever going to teach you the difference between why a made man can you know fuck with anybody and why somebody who's just an associate uh cannot do the same thing the godfather 2 doesn't teach you that uh you know what's scary is 31 years ago (laughs) what was 31 years ago godfather 2 goodfellas (laughs) yeah i I could see that Speaking of the Godfather too, um, Dave, and uh, it's why I I did a post on um, Paolo Violi. You know, yesterday was the uh, anniversary of his uh, his death, uh, but I, I forgot to post it yesterday, so I just posted it today. But there's an interesting in there about when um, I know we were going to talk about Chicago and stuff today, but uh, we also so I said we were going to talk about uh, anything that happened in this month. Yeah, um, it's but, just kind of a summary month because I got the whole Denver trip and shit planned. So let's just do like a fucking – if you guys can fucking hack two hours, man, that, that's where yeah. it's at. Yeah, I just want to read something out real quick. Uh, on January 22nd, 1978, Montreal mobster Paulo Violi, Paulo Violi was killed at a cafe. In the early 1970s, Montreal Mafia boss Vic Catroni retired and turned the day-to-day operations over to his Cal- Calabrian com- Patriot Violi, who complained about his Sicilian underlings' independ- independence, mainly Niccolo Rizzuto. On Valentine's Day 1976, the tension between the two factions turned into a war when Violi's consigliere Pietro Sierra was killed on a street after screening the godfather 2 that's what's uh, funny about that can you believe it's like this guy he, he's at the movie theater watching godfather 2 with his wife and he leaves and he's gunned down you know in a mob hit what are the fucking odds of that yeah, that's mental that here's where i'm about to lose a lot of respect in this community other than the first one i do not care for the godfathers yeah, i i prefer i prefer two over one i think i, I think two's the, I, I, I love them agree that i the don't one. See, I, three wasn't that good at no. all. Three is garbage for one thing. Let's not even let's call it what it is. Let's not be like, well, it's not that you know, it wasn't that good. No, it's, it's a horrible. That, three was three was kind of looking back at two, going, we should have stopped there. <laughs> Seeing like with two, what I don't know. I guess it's just it's not gritty enough for me. Like there's the, the it's I don't know. I don't like watching people once they got their fucking shit together. I had the same problem with uh. Peaky Blinders, uh, you know, as soon as like, we get, you get like, I'll season, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll watch anything through, obviously, but you get to like season three and all of a sudden fucking, you know, Tommy and his family, they're, I mean, they're actually fucking somebody's, they're big, you know, and the Corleones, they're always big names, don't get me wrong, but like we get to watch Michael's journey in the first one, you know yeah. what I mean? You get uh, that, uh, that I'm a James Conn. There's content fan, you know behind I mean? the story. What's up? There's content behind the story um, rather than them just telling a story for telling the story's sake. Yeah, I and I guess uh, I don't know. I I didn't really think that. 
I mean, I don't know who else would have been the better choice. So, I mean, I can't really argue that. But, like, I, di- I wasn't really ever stunned or blown away by uh, Robert De Niro's portrayal of, you know, young Don Vito. The towel lighting on fire during the hit. That's cool. Uh, the I mean I probably I mean I probably should get more affluent to Italian. That would probably help me enjoy the second one a little more because there's a whole lot of mm. whole lot of Genzo talk going on and uh, yeah you know, I, yeah I get spaced out. I don't know. I'm a '90s baby man. I need that. I need more fucking lights and flash and glitz and glam. Yeah. One thing I learned when we um when we all did that article on uh, Francis Ford Coppola, um, the Godfather of film. You can find it on National Crime Syndicate. But uh, one thing I learned about that is when I was researching it to write that is Francis Ford Coppola, he didn't want to make a Godfather 3. He did it because he was having financial troubles. So he basically just did it for the money. Oh, yeah. I mean, you phone, you phone it in and fucking – a lot of people give me shit too because I go on like a rant and a tangent about how it ends. And I'm like, and it just turns out that you're watching some asshole who's half dead in Sicily sitting there thinking back back on his life and dying on his deathbed. And I forget who I told my one buddy. He's like, that's actually a really brilliant, well-wrote story. I don't understand what your problem is with it. I'm like, look, man, I just feel ripped off. All right? <laughs> like, nah, the, the, end, the ending of The Long Good Friday with Bob Hoskins sitting in the car and you can just see his life. Um, you, you, you don't. You just literally see him at the end, didn't you, as he's driving. And you just see his whole past flash through his face as the end of the film happens. And I, I think... The, the Long Good Friday, um, that's one of the best endings of any film. See, I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of, because uh, now you got me on Scorsese in my head. I'm a big fan of how he ended um, Gangs in New York. Mm. I, like the, I like the whole, uh, per, like, where they're standing at, uh, you know, the priest's gravesite and uh, Bill the Butcher's gravesite. And, you know, he's all like, but, you know, for, you know, those of us who live during this, you know, turbulent time, you know, like, uh, it'll, it'll almost be like we was never even here. And then they just show the progression of like, uh, it's original, like CGI kind of in a sense, cause it's early on, but they show like the progression of New York and the fucking, you know, like the, like the Bowery New York then, and then like the early 1900 New York and then the mid fifties New York and then like the nineties New York. And then like, I thought that was a really, really cool, uh, Really cool concept. I just really love that movie too because old boy came out of retirement to play build a but watch out. That's that will always be my argument to like when you're all like uh David, we were talking the one time you're like uh if there's a an American actor, there's like an American character. I don't get why a British yeah. actor would be playing the American character or why the such like Daniel Day Lewis is time and time again my only argument yeah. for that. There is no other build a butcher. I, to me. I I accept um Daniel Day Lewis as a as a pretty decent actor that's transferred the the pond if you like and been able to play decent americans but there ain't been many no 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 no. there won't be yeah but like it's just like i don't want to see uh like somebody's got to be like real good if they're going to come over there and you know pretend yeah, to be uh, you know british i mean i always go back to when you meet the gate with jude law playing a russian with a cockney accent i mean just <laughs> yeah oh my god stop that just um, stop it <laughs> what what do you think of uh I mean because you're from over there how how do you feel about Brad Pitt's uh Pikey from uh Snap? I I no I think that's a fantastic character. Um, Me too actually. I I just can't get over the accent. Well, I um there's a guy that's in that and yes I'm going to name drop his name's Mickey Diara. He actually co-wrote Snatch um and also Lockbox <laughs> as well. Uh he done a bit of Bird in uh, Brixton um and we met up on a project. 
uh, and he's a really nice guy, really, really nice guy. Um, and yeah, I'm still in contact with him now, actually. So it's quite funny you mentioned that. Did, uh, isn't he the guy that Bricktop says, like, uh, if I throw a dog a bone, I don't want to know. That's the one. Yep. And he's, yep. He stop me again where I'm walking and I'll cut your fucking Jacob. So, God, I love Bricktop. That's, <laughs> That's the one. Fucking man, dude. Oh, shit. Well, I mean, actually, Rob, once you sent me the whole little dossier in this month, I didn't realize how many fucking gangsters were born this month, man. Jesus. I know, especially Chicago. Yeah, yeah it's busy for Chicago, Chicago isn't it? And, and deaths as well, M- um, murders. I mean, it generates a really busy month for the old organized crime history. No, it, no, it really is. And it's, and it's weird that, like, all the ones that seem to be – not all the ones, but a lot of the ones that seem to be born within this month is, like, they were all heavy hitters. It's like, uh, what fucking sign is this? I only half believe in the Zodiac shit, but like it, it, I mean, it's definitely feasible. That shit, the shit definitely half plays out, you know? Well, Al Capone, um, we've got his birthday, um, what, three, three days ago, 21st, uh, two days ago. Cause then on the 25th, um, it's his anniversary, um, of his death. Cause he, he, um, uh, I think it was, it was it four. No, hold on. No, he had a, he had a heart attack and then he died four days after his heart attack, didn't he? Um, and that was, uh, I think that was Monday. It would have been 25th. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and yesterday, uh, I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before, but, uh, in fucking 1882 fucking good old Johnny Torrio was born. That was, uh, that one. I didn't know that one. Uh, that one caught me out of left field. Uh, I didn't, I never remembered that he was born and Jenny, I don't really, you know, care about Chicago. So, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I do, I do, I do. I most definitely do. But like, in a sense, I'm always all like, Meh, you know, like yeah. there are, uh, I don't know. I've bit pompous, bit pompous also, if you ask me. Them. They get real on the high horse of like, well, Chicago was the biggest money making yada yada. Like, okay, man, surely. One guy, one guy we don't talk about much is um, Frankie yeah. Yale. Oh. The New York mob. I fucking stuff. love Frankie. I um, did an episode when I was still doing this shit uh, by myself. It did. I mean, it did all right. It got some. It got some listens. I was still pretty fresh, but I actually fucking love Frankie Eel's story. Go ahead, Rob. I'm sorry. I just... uh, no, just saying he was born uh, this month, January twenty second, eighteen ninety three, in uh, Calabria, Italy. Yeah, I don't. It, his story is just. I think he. I think his name uh, fucked him. I, I think he got a raw raw into the deal because. Uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, Frankie Yale is the one who puts a bullet in Big Jim Calissimo, no? So, yeah, he's alleged to be the one who did it. Yeah. I believe myself that he's the one who did it. Uh, he went down on a train, I believe. Yeah, now he was really close with Capone, right? Yeah, yeah. And, um, and Torrio. Torrio. He was his uh, mentor, wasn't he? Frankie Yale was... Um, uh, no, j- yeah, Torrio's uh, mentor. Was, yeah. Uh, Frankie Yale. No, he's Frankie Yale's t- mentor as well, wasn't he? Yep. The two now, isn't, isn't it said that uh, Capone actually, like, initially and allegedly, like, Frankie Yale was his first sort of hire, like, the first one to put him on to any, any real, like, money-making, uh, like, racketeering, or is that just a myth? I'd heard that somewhere. Well, it was all in the Five Points gang, weren't they, before they were in Chicago? Yeah, but, I like, from everything I've read up on the Five Points gang, it seems like, uh, like, certain times, like I said, it depends what you read and it depends what author you're talking about. But it seems like some people really sweep good old Frankie under the rug with, like, the kind of money and the kind of, like, you know, the level of violence he was willing to commit. He was doing doing fairly well 
really early on when a lot of these guys were still being groomed by Rothstein and sort of, uh, like, yeah. you know. He helped, like, listen, Frankie Yell helped build the Chicago outfit. No, there's no two ways about it. Oh, no, 100 Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. And from, you know, doing from New York. And it, that was also, you know, um, the outfit was also his downfall because he was uh, allegedly hijacking trucks that uh, he was hired to protect that were coming into New York and then they were going down to Chicago. And um, that's why Capone ordered the uh, the hit on him. And Frankie Yale on July 1st, 1928, he was at his um, club, the Harvard in the bar. And um, he got a call that his new wife, Lucy, something was wrong with her or something to that effect. And he, so he jumped in his car and flew home. And that's when uh, a car full of guys pulled up beside him and uh, shot him dead. And the funny thing about that is the, the guns they used in the Yale hit were the same guns that they used in uh, the Chicago guys. Used yeah. The St. Valentine's Day yeah. massacre. Don't they think Frankie Yale might have been a shooter in that? Yeah. Didn't, didn't they um... – didn't they try and kill him quite a few times, Rob? And nearly did a couple of times. It took him about three or four times, didn't it, before I was able to kill him? Um, I believe there were, yeah, there was other attempts on his life before that, but um, I don't know exactly, there was, you know, because I, I believe they tried to make peace at one point, Capone and him, and it just, uh, it didn't work out. Yeah, I thought it had something to do with uh, Yale and... Uh, Genovese, I thought not. Uh, like all that shit never really said. Or it could have been Torrio. Well, he, had prob- he had problems with the um Irish white hand gang, uh, Frankie Yell. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the yeah. ones that obviously kept trying to kill him, and and that I think that's where the argument is at the end, Rob. Whether it was Capone or the white hand gang or a mixture of the two of them that eventually had him wiped yeah. out. Well, I know, man. Yeah, the reason Eileen uh, took a shot on him and, uh, allegedly, he did, I mean, obviously he didn't succeed, but uh, but yeah, he, I mean, he did have sort of a formidable rep for like there. If you ask around the city, fucking, it's not like Frank Yale was like hated like a Dutch Schultz or anything like that. But it also isn't like he was. He wasn't a beloved. Uh, he wasn't a Frank Costello or uh, you know an Al Capone or even like a Johnny Torrio or something like that. He was. It seemed like half and half. It seemed like half the city's all like, yeah, no, I got fucking money on that prick's head. Let me tell you. And the other half was like, Frankie, he's all right, but no, nobody's willing to die in his place. That's for damn sure. The reason I believe that it was, uh, you know, it was Capone that took out is because the ballistic mm. evidence, you know, matched the guns used to the guns that were used in the St. Valentine's Day massacre. So. Now you have them being used in Chicago in the St. Valentine's Day massacre, and you have them being used in New York on the Frankie Yale. I mean, I, so I, I agree with you. Um, that's why I lean towards I agree, that. Yeah, I, no, no, no. no. I, I know it was uh, Capone or one of Capone's like associates or whatever they had. I, like the only I was just talking about a story that I had read somewhere where uh, Mad Dog called Vincent Mad Dog called because I love I love his story too. That that motherfucker's like the Sid Vicious of organized crime. Like in in real fast, go real hard, die real young. You know what I mean? He was what, like twenty two, something like that. Like uh, Vincent Mad Dog calls anybody. Anybody got a hand on that, Dave? I know you're. Uh, he was young. He was in his twenties. I mean, Frankie Yale himself was only twenty eight. Twenty eight. Uh, yeah, I mean, like twenty eight, twenty nine, stuff like that. It, it's weird. I don't know how to explain it. Like, I guess when I see like the, you know, like the thing of the twenty seven club, you know, all the famous rock stars dying at twenty seven, blah 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 blah. But then you think of all these like new age mumble rappers running around who are dead by twenty twenty one. It's like. It, it doesn't sound or seem like a huge gap, but like 
I don't know. I know for me from 20 to 28, like I matured a lot. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I got a lot of things together. I, you know, I chilled out a lot. I did, you know what I mean? So like, if you're just like in it, living fast, living hard and dead by 21, 22, it's like, you never, ever settled down in whatever life it is you live. Mm. You know what I mean? Even if you're dead by 27, 28, obviously you still went a little harder than most and like, you know, you live fast and die young, but like, I don't know. They're just that weird, like 20, you're still, I mean, you're still a kid. You know what I mean? Like a, a kid, kid. I don't, I don't say kid like the way I'm all like, no, I'm still a kid. When in reality, I'm like, man, I'm fucking pushing 30. I got to figure it out. You know what I mean? Like I say you're a kid, like a you're dude, you're barely able to vote. You fucking, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, you're basically not even fully grown at that time. Um, but yeah, as you get into your late twenties, early thirties, you get a whole new outlook. You know, it changed me a lot my thirties. Mm. But um, I mean, I can feel that same thing. You know what I mean? And like, and you can notice it in guys like this because it's like Luciano wasn't always the the charming, you know, calm, kickback, lucky that like everybody researches and talks about. They like that's where I love Boardwalk Empire's portraying like sort of like his mean streak, his hot headed because like you know it, you know he had to have had it. Like you know, you know, I don't know if it's exactly like the fucking show, but I'll tell you, you big- know there. Had- at that point, a big shout out to um, Organized Crime Shorts. He put up a video quite recently on YouTube. I think his YouTube channel is also called um, Organized Crime Shorts over on over on YouTube. But um, he he done a piece on uh, five myths about Lucky Luciano, and I thought it was a fantastic. It was only I think about a ten minute long video, which is perfect. Um, but you have to check it out, and he's got some good stuff on there on YouTube. No, hell yeah. I love I love those debunking uh I love the the myth one. It does suck, man. It does. And he's pretty- what was the biggest letdown for you guys when like uh you started researching organized crime? You got, you know, more uh more fluent to it. You got more like started to really under you know, sort of figure out what was going on or start to say what was the biggest like myth that like you were sold on like oh this uh, this is a this is a has to be type of thing and then uh it, you know it turns out to be a like a frank sharon or something like you that know, like, i would have been really um quite controversial really but um for a number of years now the murder and honor of both they've been dead um that there's when you scratch beneath the surface especially of the la cosa nostra american italian italian american mafia um for me, uh, yeah, there's just, yeah, it, everyone's dirty. Everyone goes on about someone being a rat, but for me, a rat is someone that speaks to the authorities to benefit themselves. And if we look at it from that point of view, I, agree. I don't think there's that many within the Costa Nostra that can look at themselves in the mirror because um, they all use the police force and law enforcement to benefit themselves. Um, and they must have been handing over information as well as cash because to be able to get away with stuff, you need to show that some crime is being um, uh, investigated and someone's being prosecuted. You look at, you go back as far as um, uh, Bulka, uh, who was set up. Um, yeah. I mean, it, that's a, just, and you look back and it's like everything is a setup. When someone gets murdered, it's like he's been set up by his his own family, even on some occasions. It's like, who, how can you yeah. do that to your own family member yeah. because of some fake code that you signed up to? I mean, you take um, Sonny Francais, his two sons. <laughs> um, you, uh, there's loads. You can just, um, the family secrets trial, um, the Calabreses. I mean, you just, 
it, it's like you just everywhere you look, there is no omerta and there's no honor. Um, no, it's treachery, just, treachery, I, treachery, and like more treachery. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Sorry, I mean, fa- sons order hits on fathers, or vice versa. Brothers order hits on other brothers. It's happened. The ones that get me is when somebody times. won't have somebody kill, and it, and it's and it is like like uh, even like a uh, God. He makes every fucking episode, but even like John Gotti, like despite all everything, and despite even banishing him, and like you know, I I don't think he was even talking to him towards the end of his life. I don't even think if Angela Ruggiero would have been in anybody else's, but he'd have been dead. He'd have been dead. Fucking, 100%. Hundred percent, but Gotti would just wouldn't clip. Same with like uh when me and James Pierre, big shout out to James Pierre and his, uh, his uh, Carlo Gambino book. It's uh it's doing fantastic. I'm fucking super happy for him. But uh, when we were talking, he was all like, "I think the only mistake Carlo made, and he, I mean, he gave the, the pretty much the genuine consensus. He's uh, is he left Paul in charge, and that's where I had to strike kind of a weird chord. And I was like, I'm gonna fucking lose some fans and gain some haters from this one. But the only mistake Carlo ever made." Was for some reason he wouldn't fucking clip Gotti, like he didn't Brittany. have him clipped. Carlo's old school, um, yeah. And I think because of Gotti taking his taking um, his nephew's um, kidnapper out, um, that Carlo Gambino owed him. And I and and Carlo Gambino for me, Carlo Gambino for me was. The, the epitome of what the mafia should have been in America. I know that Carlo Gambino done his dodgy deals, but so did everyone else. You know what I mean? So, and in setting up yeah. Vito Genovese, I'm 100% he set up Vito, uh, Vito Genovese in 59. No, in 59 uh, or 58 when he got arrested, should I say, in the trial was 59. But um, yeah, I think, I think Carlo Gambino was the actual epitome of what the mafia was all about. He didn't put himself out there. He got arrested, which is going to be part of the game, but kept his mouth shut, always got out, always walked from his cases. Whether or not his his heart failures were true and they couldn't deport him because of it, who knows? But he played it the right way. Um, and I think the oh, only, no, reason, I think the only reason why Castellano awesome. got it was because of, of a previous um, pact between the Gambinos and the Castellanos from Sicily. No, no we're yeah. living in- you said that theory before. I actually, I actually have come to agree with you 100 percent on that. What I'm saying is, uh, there was more than one instance with when when Carlo was still in charge, where Dela Croce had to go in front of Gambino on Gotti's behalf to sort of, you know, I- explain for him and plead for him. And and if, and all I'm saying is, if we had fucking 48 year old Carlo with a John Gotti running around, even after squaring up the nephew thing, even after you know, like. The, that would have got you a little leeway. That would always got you some play with Carlo, you know, this, that, and the other thing. But there would have eventually been a loss of sympathy for, like, uh, you know, just going on Neil's word. I feel like Carlo – If Neil would have become boss – soft, but he, he wanted to trust Neil. You know, you know what I mean? It's like – I honestly believe if Neil would have come, become boss and, and obviously was alive, um, he would have ended up whacking Guy. Yeah, probably. I could actually. I. I. I can. I'll agree with you on that. 100%. Neil's someone else that you you slice him in half, and he'll have the costa nostra running all the way through his all the way through his body like a stick of rock. Um, yeah. And and it, he was a murderer. He was honor. Um, and yet. Oh, Delacro Delacroce is the most loyal member of the costa nostra that I've researched personally in my hum- uh, humble agree. opinion on the topic. And uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I have to. I mean, there are some out there that are just 
head and shoulders above the rest just because of the way they conducted themselves. Yeah, but the, there wasn't a lot of people who would, you know, honestly adhere to the your bosses, your bosses, your boss saying don't matter if you like them. As this is Costa Nostra, it needs stru- it needs well, like, that's how it like Neil. People should be taking it, their no, it's tricky, but it's, Neil's the only one who ever actually fucking you know stood by that and preached that, and uh, you know what I mean. Like, uh, like flip the script. If Carmine Galante would have been Neil's direct superior neil della croce would have been a you know a member a high-ranking member like he was at the gambinos and the bananos instead I, I i don't know how uh swiftly and you know uh vicariously he would have went along with with that hit he what he didn't back uh the murder of anastasia he didn't complain neither you know what i mean you know he uh he, he always he always rode that fine line i mean he like was he treacherous in the sense that like when it came to you know like yeah the the other side like yeah he was happy to see galante go but like his like, that's what i mean by his loyalty is so like entrenched in this shit that like i said if you just for some reason don't know how or why it would happen but you flip flopping families and neo della croce ends up still as high ranking as he ever was but in the bananos and not the and not the gambinos uh i, I don't I mean, yeah, Galante's still going to end up flipped, don't get me wrong, but I don't know if Neil – he just never seemed to go along with things like that. You know what I mean? He never seemed to go along with real, like, super greedy, seedy, shadowy, like, uh, power plays, I'll call them, for lack of a better term. Be- you know, it, it, it seemed like he wanted as little to do with that as he could, you know, muster and still get by, but he was also – so well versed in the life and so high ranking that unfortunately any high echelon anything to where Gambinos are going to get involved, Neil's going to get involved. You know what I mean? Like one of my biggest questions about that whole, you know, uh, Neil, you know, making Neil a Paul boss is I wonder what Carlo's reasoning was behind that because Carlo, you know, like we say, he's the one of the best to ever do it, one of the smartest to ever do it. So he had to have a reason for he must Paul. have known. He wasn't stupid either, was he, Rob Carlo? So he must have known the grumblings on the street about Paul. That's what, for me, really does come down to the going back when Carlo first come over. That Carlo, for me, Carlo Gambino was earmarked to be the capo di tutti capi of the American mafia, and and I think a part of that would have been that your cousins go with you because it was the Castellanos that put him up when he first come over as a 19 year old, wouldn't it? In 1921, whatever it was. So yeah, I, I think, yeah. I think, I think that there's more to do with the familiar um, kind of side of it. Um, not sorry, in the family kind of side of it in respect of a real man of honor rather than just the Gambino family. I think there's a hell of a lot more, history behind the reasons why well, i mean also why are you gonna why would you give the position to somebody who like yeah they've been loyal to you they've been they've been a go-to for you they've been as fucking solid as they come you you got no complaints however when you were you know in in the making and you know sort of in the that indecisive time period where you're plotting and scheming and like setting up power plays to take over the borgata from albert anastasia this in particular man he he was not in support of you he was not he was not on your side. He did not back you. He he fought. He will fall in line. He fell in line after Anastasia went. But if it were up to Neo Della Croce, I don't know because I once again I don't know these men. So before anybody just reams me in the comments like Neo would never blah 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 like oh did you fucking know him? Look, okay then shut I up. I mean looking uh, back, it's, it's got to be one of the worst decisions ever made, taken by one of the best bosses of all time. 
And yeah. I don't believe I mean, that. Yeah, I, would, I would definitely, yeah. And I don't believe that. that. That's why I, I actually, that's why I personally feel that there was this, this, not so much this was a deal made back in Sicily, but there was a hell of a lot more behind it than just the fact that um, Castellano made good money for the Mafia. What if it really was just, he's just like, no, Paul's just smarter. Like, <laughs> like we can really go back and ask Carlo. We got all they these theories, all coin. this. <laughs> he's just dead in the face. He's all like, Paul's better with numbers. Like, just shrugs. Like, Hedge for Paul tells me. And maybe he thought it would bring some, uh, he could have thought it was going to bring some legitimacy to the uh, family as far as, because, you know, Carlo had a seat coming with one of the mob's downfalls was they didn't adapt with the times. You know what I mean? No. They didn't. Uh, you know, try to go, you know, go straight the straight way. I mean, they would never go completely straight. And but, again, be no um, married, Rob. You know, maybe they were trying to. Yeah, you can't. can't yeah. Depend on like you married married each other. So again, there's there's kind of another, if you like, hint um, to the reason why. But yeah, I mean, it's, I'd love to think it's now Carlo on his deathbed flicking a coin. It's for new yeah. tells for Paul. That would be even more hilarious, Dave. That's literally what it was. He's all like, oh, he's all, you know, what do I do? What do I do? And just literally went in his pocket and flipped the coins like it's Paul. But what I don't get is he he's, he's, was watching, uh, he fell asleep, didn't he? In, was it he, he fell asleep in front of the telly watching, he just finished watching uh, uh, the Yankees, Yankees win the, the Yankees play. Game. And he, but yet, I thought he was on his deathbed and gave Paul the position on his deathbed. So, it, it kind of how long did they know that Paul was going to get the position? I mean, I know. And how did it? Was it just Paul's yeah. word? Like, you know what I mean? That that's a good question because hmm. because you know who knows if Carlo even did pick a successor, and then maybe Paul just you know went with it and said, oh, no, he wanted me to be it. But then again, I don't see, you know, I think the word would have had to go straight from Kylo to Neil in order for it to... Uh, Frankie to Chico. They both fucking... Frankie just got fucked. They both fucked him. Mm-hmm. Carlo was all like, you know, Paul, you, you're a good businessman, but you're a little too greedy. <laughs> Neil, you're a, you're as real as they come, but you're a little too street. You know who I think really could run this family? You know what I mean? Like, no bullshit. I think Frankie DeChico's got it in him, and fucking Paul and Neil were both like, you know, fuck that. Fuck I'll tell you what, Paul, you take it. I'm going to die of cancer. You take it. I'll stay as underboss, but fuck Frankie get. I do like your theory on that. I've actually come to steal that theory as fucking my own belief, to be honest. When you when you broke it down the one day like that, I mean, dude's facing 50 fucking years. He's got emphysema or whatever it was he had, the cancer, the fucking, like... I don't think Neil wanted the headache. I think the only one who really took all that personally was God. He was Neil bummed. I'm sure he was bummed. He's bummed. It wasn't 1955 when Carlo died and he couldn't fucking Neil wouldn't have told take God over he, the family in his prime. Neil wouldn't have told God that that's what he that's like. Oh, I've been offered the position. I've turned it down. I don't it's because I don't think Neil was that sort of person that would discuss his business. Um, exactly. Because you're not supposed ever. to because you weren't in the fucking room, John. You're not supposed to know. Exactly. That's, exactly. If, if you was meant to know, you'd be there with me. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, maybe he did address it because I mean, everybody in the family had to be like, "What the hell? No way!" You know, it should be Neil. So, I mean, I think there would have been a lot of talk going around um, about it. But that's that split down the middle thing, though. You got to think, uh, like, on Paul's fucking 
dossier or roster, if you will. You got fucking, you got Sammy the Bull, you got uh, Louis Melito, you got Roy DeMeo and fucking uh, Nino Gaggi and fucking, I mean, they, they, they definitely had some heavy hit. Like, it's funny when people break down the, like, <laughs> I'm going to lose some more fans right here. Uh, when people break down the whole Gotti faction versus, uh, like, uh, the, the Gaggi, the fucking, you know, like the Della Croce faction versus, like, the Gaggi fucking, you know, uh, DeMeo, that type, like, there ain't no contest, man. Like, if, if, if shit would have sparked up kind of like how it did in the Columbos within the Gambinos, like, right out of the gate, like, it, it, I, I really would put it on Gaji and fucking DeMeo and all those guys to to win that war. I'm just being honest. Mm. Just for, just for me personally, just for me personally. I mean, let's break down Gotti's roster. Okay, you got Gotti. He's a true head knocker. No problems there. No problems there. But but, but now we're, we are going to take away fucking Sammy from his side because, you know, let's say the war kicks off. Dude's going to fucking do, – dude's going with the side that's making him money. You know what he, I mean? He, yeah, so but he's going to be – So you got Gotti, you got Della Croce, you got – what's up? Um, Sammy the Bull is going to be the first target because he's, he's the killer. I think I think Roy was going to be the first target because yeah, you, you're talking about when fucking uh when Paul takes over uh Roy DeMeo is like he's like the epitome of of Paul's enforcement unit. Yeah, no, but I mean in respects of got his crew. Oh, I mean who are you going to aim for first out of the Gotti crew? You're going to take Gravano out, aren't you? Because he's, he's the... well, Gravano's not with not with the Gotti crew, is what I'm saying. Like if we if we rewind time and we go back to where oh, like okay. uh, <laughs> like there's the there's the series where Dominic Montiago was talking about where when they were, where they were going to swear in uh, Paul that night, he was upstairs with a rifle three floors above, and uh, the Gotti fa- or the Della Croce uh, faction comes in, and then downstairs you got like Nino Gaggi. Sammy the Bull, Louis Melito, uh, Roy DeMeo, like, you know, that, like, because, like, Sammy the Bull's with, like, uh, fucking, like, uh, what, like, Frankie Locke, uh, Melito, uh, uh, DiBernardo, uh, you know, before he um, clipped pretty much everybody I just named. <laughs> Shout out to Sammy the Bull, your fucking podcast is fucking, I'm excited for it, you're fucking killing YouTube. Uh Yeah. See, that's, my, that's, that's where this all started is fucking like that was my biggest letdown in all of this shit honest to god i love the way that dude told the story i wanted i wanted it to be true i was like not only are you like you fall into fucking two cat you fall into three categories if he was everything he said he was you're a serial killer you're a mass murderer and you're a mafia hitman like come on man like man I still would love to fucking somehow stumble upon the because I, I follow a lot of serial killer pages and shit like that too, and a lot of people go to post about him, and I have to go in and fucking crush their dreams and like because they know so much about like Bundy and Ramirez and guys like that, they they think that they're well versed with a uh, good old Richard. I'm all like, look, man, like I know you believe everything that somebody tells you on their 60 Minutes interview, and with Dahmer and Bundy and Gase, you know, I mean, like shit, I would too. They fucking, you know, if anything, there's more murders that they're fucking not that they didn't tell us about. But Klaklinski, that motherfucker, just a selling him. Just a selling. His first interview always seemed genuine. And, like, every time I watch back on his first interview, he actually only talks about really ever being involved in a handful of mafia hits. Mm. That's the one where he's wearing the sweater, and for some reason he's either eating peanuts or smacking his gum like crazy. Mm. But he's not looking in the camera. He's not super – he's not overthinking too many questions. Like I'd like, I do believe he's killed people 100%. I mean, you don't end up with, you know – 
Yeah, 100%. Oh, yeah, he's definitely killed people. I mean, he but was convicted for Prong, killing a few. Ever, like, I, I've asked around about him. He was just a, that was He was just fake, too, or what? I think he existed. I mean, I even think I seen a picture of him one time of uh, him dead in his ice cream truck. Well, unless so there's it was no actual evidence else, that but... he did hits for Lucchese or – Was it on a uh, Sunday? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. Like I said, it was just a fucking huge – like I said, I just – the way he tells the story is he, they're like, how do you feel about murder? He's like, I don't. <laughs> he's all like, I don't, I don't feel one way or the other about it. Do you know what? Or the one where he's all like, we pulled up next to him. He's all like, he was on the – he was in the car. I had the I had the shotgun, and uh, I racked the shotgun. I leaned out of the window. We was at the red light, and uh, squeezed the trigger. He never saw the green light. Like fuck, I'm like you can't you can't write that shit, bro. That's just that's genuine as fuck. I was watching uh, a documentary where I binge watching um, that Ramirez. What? Oh, the Night Stalker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dude, that it, dude. was. He was just wow. No, that. that... He, he... The Takashi Six Nine of serial killers, if you ask me. But he was real as fuck. Don't get me wrong; he was dangerous. What? What other program? I was watching another program, and um, like David Geezer, uh he had he had like serial killer again, um, and they didn't want to. Um, he he killed loads, um, but they and which included children as well. And he didn't want to. They didn't want to put the family through it. But he got for two other murders. He got the death penalty twice. How can you get the death penalty twice? <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's just, I guess it, it, it's, it's just kind of legalities to make your uh, to make the families feel better. Like, because uh, I mean, how would you feel if it was like somebody killed your you know mother or something first, ju- just ahead of their schedule and their serial killer pathology over somebody's son or niece or whatever who was the the following victim? Well, this is the murder that we're finally convicting you for the death penalty on. So, it, like, if you were just all like, no, nope, this is the one, you're, you're getting the needle for this one, it's all good. Like, it almost sort of seems like it shouldn't, but I could see how it would feel like, oh, so you're saying that my grandmother didn't matter. It was just that one. It just Because there's always that one murder, too. And, like, they even said in that Night Soccer documentary when he killed that uh, older uh, grandmother, uh, uh, Peggy Nielsen or something like that, or Patty Nielsen or something. Peggy Nielsen. Yeah, I think so. Or something like Peggy that, that I believe. It, it's like, it's midway through the, like, through his run of things and fucking... And it just really hit home for everybody. It really hit like uh, that. Like nobody wants to be like, well, that's why you're getting the death penalty. You should be getting the death penalty from the first girl you murdered the first night you killed the first time. You know, what's weird about him though is the the inconsistency, especially for like a like a serial killer's pathology. Because I'm I knew about the Night Stalker for quite a while. Which I, I mean, not that they're ever going to hear this, but I want to give a big shout out to Netflix. I've been dogging the Night Stalker. Uh, documentary for a minute just because i'm all like well here we go here's six months of copycat killings hope you guys are ready and you're gonna fucking wonder why but uh it happens every time but uh with with richard ramirez it was it was definitely unique in the sense that he was at least in california and for most of the united states in a sense was the first one who killed in so many like sporadic variety driven ways and then like so you know not everybody got killed every time he went somewhere sometimes he raped sometimes he didn't you know sometimes he like yeah it it was like that uh it it was so sporadic and almost almost like half the shit he was spewing you know maybe maybe was true i mean i know he was on a lot of heroin and a lot of uh uh crack cocaine and and things like that but like his whole uh hail satan conjuring the devil thing conjuring like when some people tell stories about him it, it almost does seem like that was how he 
went about like his his actions. You know what I mean? You, like you've got to believe that. I mean, and when you just you, you you've only got to look in his eyes, and there was nothing, absolutely nothing, staring back. Um, no, yeah, it was. He was, yeah, he, was, was he was dead walking. I mean, there was just nothing to that man whatsoever. I mean, yeah. There's a good um, movie on Netflix based on, um, I think, uh, with uh, John Cusack based on the uh, serial killer guy. In, oh, okay. Uh, um, yeah. In yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. It, it yeah called no, uh, The Frozen Ground. That's a true story. I didn't know about that guy until I seen the. Uh, that's all I seen it. He's one of the yeah. I mean, if you want a good one, man, I mean, Zach Efron of. did a good job playing Ted Bundy. Uh, I yeah. got too many sisters, so I mean, Ted Bundy is fascinating, but I'm not a real big rate. Like, not a real big rate. I know a lot about serial killers just because, like, apparently I'm obsessed with murder and death. So if you if you kill people, I'll probably I'm probably gonna know about you. <laughs> but they fall in like my lowest category. Like, I, I I don't know. I'm more interested in mass murders more than serial killers. Like the Columbines, the Oklahoma City bombings. The, you know, the, the parking shootings, the, because mass murder, I've come to find for the most part, there's a whole bunch of red flags every single step yeah. of the way. And it does, and almost all of it seems preventable every single fucking time it happens. Do you know, I, you know? I come at, I, for virtually the same reasons as you, Ian, but I come at, come at it from another angle. I like to see it from the FBI's perspective and the work. And that's why I kind of, um, read up on the serial killers and the mass murderers as, uh, alongside organized crime because they're the type of sites that I'm researching because I, I like the behavioral science in it all. Um, and, and, yeah, and yeah. I come from, I guess from mass, murders, mass murders just seem like they have, like, <laughs> yeah, like me too. Almost more of a normal person there at some point. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I'll always double back to Columbine because I am writing a book. I finally get to go fucking travel there and see it this weekend. Yeah, you're saying good luck. No, yeah, it's good. No, you can go there. The memorial's there and shit. You can go there. It's just like security. Go and come out and talk to you. And I'm not gonna be like, "What's up, guys?" I'm no. I'm gonna be like, "Hi, how you doing?" You know, you know, like, I mean, I'm 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 pretty personable. I'm not fucking there like paying homage to the killer. I'm there to fucking pay my respects to the fucking victim. I feel I feel empathy for the fucking shooter's parents more than I do for I mean for either of them. Who gives a fuck? That's what they wanted to do. They did it. Like, fucking, they swallowed some fucking lead at the end of it and they gone. Like, but like. No matter what anybody fucking says, I don't care what any of these people out here say, how mad you are. How about, read Sue, Cle- Sue Klebold's book, A Mother's Reckoning. Sue Klebold was Dylan Klebold's mother. That was the what they call the second shooter in the Columbine shooting. They're, fucking, they're, they're both equally guilty. But everybody likes depending on Eric Harris being the mastermind and Dylan Klebold being the sad little power, whatever. But nonetheless, his mother's book is fucking heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Matter of fact, mm. matter of fact, what we got there. Hold on. Yeah, I, mean, I just want to read the final. It line sounds you, good. And then we can get back into mob stuff. Cause it uh it hit home. I have it highlighted. This is the final words in the book. It goes, uh, as I learned all too well, brain health isn't an us versus them situation. Every one of us has the capacity to suffer in this way, and most of us at some point in our lives will. We teach our kids the importance of good dental care, proper nutrition, and financial responsibility. How many of us teach our children to monitor their own uh brain and mental health? Or how or how well do we do it ourselves? I did not know, and the greatest regret of my entire wow. life is that I did not teach Dylan. Like well, that's the that, and that resonates as well. That kind of, in a way, that fits in with the kind of work that I do around mental health over yeah. here, and, and like the awareness campaigns I'm involved in. So that very much resonates with me, and because it's one of the one of for me one of the 
the biggest, I suppose, um, pathways into the prison system is the school system. And that's because of adverse childhood experiences, trauma that kids face as children. And they haven't, they haven't been able to release those feelings. So as they get older, they get angrier. And, and that's where things like that happen. And exactly. early intervention is key. And as, as that Suki Bolts just said, that um, we need to teach our kids about mental health. We need to teach them. The brain's important. We need it for, for our lives. So just as much as we need our bodies, and like you say, we teach about healthy eating. We teach about going to the gym, but we should also teach about mental health as well. That's so important. Exactly. And that, I guess that's where serial killers sort of start to veer away from me because for the most part, nine out of 10 of them, I, I almost want to jump and say 10 out of 10 because mm. just because of the, the pathology of it, I'm, I'm convinced on their ends that that is pure, unadulterated, born evil. Nothing could be done. That's where Ramirez is debatable as a real, real rugged life, real shit life. He came up in, you know what I mean? He, he witnessed his cousin murder, uh, his wife, uh, his his other cousin w- told him all the horror stories of Vietnam when he was like five, six. Uh, he was born with, you know, dopinism. I'm not excusing anything. He did. Dude, the dude fucking raped babies. He can rot in hell and I'll see him when I get there. And fucking I know he'll be I know he'll be saving a spot with his palm out. But but like nonetheless, like your Ted Bundy's Ted Bundy had a fucking pretty, pretty normal, pretty docile existence growing up in the regular day that like. And just like, you know, grew to hit, you know, a John Wayne Gacy, like you strangled and sodomized 33, like teenage to young boys. And then you buried them under your house and live on top of them like a like a trophy case. Like, I don't care. You were fucked. You were always fucked. There's no you can look up a picture of John Wayne Gacy as a baby and he's just as fat as holy fuck as he is in his later years. And you can look in his eyes. Same with Ted Bundy. I look up all the pictures of them little. That's where the Ramirez mm-hmm. one's kind of like, mm, it's hard. Because you can look up like Ted Bundy as a little kid. John Wayne Gacy as a little kid. Uh, the BTK, which is the burn, torture, kill, killer as a little kid. Um, you know, everybody but a handful. And yeah, you're just like, Ramirez, oh, yeah, no. Like, yeah. You, Ramirez, you, you can't you excuse his behavior. But you can, you can kind of understand how you went down that path. You can, I can just, I can just see a soul in the five-year-old yeah. that I don't see in the eight-year-old anymore, Damn. and she gone, it's gone. Like, but like in Bundy and Gacy, it's like it, they're a, they're a three-year-old little bit. I should never. I mean, granted, I know who they are and I know what they ended up doing, so that's where I can get the blip. But like, I run into little kids like that just in regular life, to where I look at them, and I'm like, you are probably a psychopath. Hopefully, you're just not a smart enough psychopath to ever do anything super detrimental with it. But you're probably gonna hurt somebody in your life. You probably are gonna end up in prison. You probably, you know what I mean? Like it's, and it sucks. You, I mean, you shouldn't judge me like, that's why I don't work in early development childcare because no, cause I'm going to be like, yo man, we got a little sociopath running around. We need to get a medic or I'm going to be like, well, you got a little psychopath running around and there's nothing we can do about it. <laughs> Should we get back onto the mob? God knows how we've gone down this very hole. Yeah. No. <laughs> Thank you, Rob. That's a, that was that's the, the best that's idea I've heard all day. I thought my idea was pretty good. <laughs> no, so we tried to kill well, two hours, boys. It's still early. The ride. But yeah, I mean, uh, besides um, Frankie Yale and fucking Johnny Torrio, there's, uh, I mean, who else we got? Uh, wasn't Ralph Capone born this month, too? Yeah, Al Capone's uh, brother, Ralph, he was born January 12th, 1894 uh-huh. in uh, Angry, Bananas, too, right? Italy. I think. Um, Joe Bonanno? 
Banano, well, man, tomorrow there's um, uh, Banano, an interesting yep. guy that was um, who whose uh, anniversary of his death uh, is it tomorrow? Yeah, 1975. Richard Blass, um, who was a Canadian gangster, nicknamed Les Chat, <laughs> um, which is uh, French for the cat, because <laughs> um, apparently he survived three assassination attempts, um, a police shootout, and he escaped custody twice. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, he was, um, uh, part of, uh, Frank Catroni's group. And, uh, uh Frank Catroni is one of the, uh, well, mafia powerhouses up in, um, uh, Canada. Main the Montreal, Montreal, yeah. Montreal. Yeah, he was the boss yeah, of Montreal yeah, yeah. before I mean, the uh, Rizzuto stuff. Because I'm on a, a bender where I just literally I'm adding anybody who comes across the hey people you might know this man like so I just keep adding motherfuckers and like just keep sending and sharing the podcast and I don't really ever expect somebody to dial back fucking fifty plus episodes and fucking you know, and and watch forward to be like oh I better stay caught up I yeah. picture them just hopping in where they hop in so the last thing I want to do is be running around a bunch of inside fucking. Just a bunch of inside jokes for two hours every fucking podcast. I'd love it. I'll love it. Uh, yeah, I've been doing a lot of uh, research on the Montreal mob. I'm reading the book, uh, Blood, uh, Business or Blood, um, Mafia Boss Vito Rizzuto's Last War. And it's uh, pretty good. One thing I found in um, in the chapter was about how when Stefano Magadino and Joe Bonanno were at war with each other. Um, Paulo, Paulo Dioli, who also we were talking about this month, he's got a uh, father-in-law, which uh, Jack Lupino, he was a Hamilton mobster uh, and an Agrada boss. He was also a lieutenant for Stefano Magadino. But um, the funny thing about him is he was always working with his tomatoes. So the fucking, uh, the law enforcement put bugs in his, in his tomato plants and he would walk and talk there and then they would fucking, uh, they would pick it up. And he was, um, this guy was alleged to have carried a fucking leather ear, a leathery ear from, uh, one of his rivals who he cut oh, off. Yeah. He, he yeah, carried I mean, it in his wallet. Like that, man. Jack they're not, they're not to be trifled. My, my favorite along the lines of guys who like that. He sounds like with a similar mindset. Uh, I gotta go with Tommy. A man. Our girl aggro. That motherfucker, he kept somebody, uh, I'm pretty sure it was like a pinky finger, like a index finger in a pickle jar in his club. That and just his freak out on the wire tape is one of my favorite <laughs> fucking things ever to listen to, ever. Like, just, uh, you want to lie to me and steal from me and back to me? Like, that is not a man I'm trying to cross. Like, at all. and I'm going to tell you something. When I got to you, I had already missed you twice. Like, that's so just cold, just callous and ballsy, like, fucking not a worry in the world like you know i fucking i'd already missed you twice we got to you once but you're lucky that lady walked in but don't you think just because i'm telling you this i can't get to you a fourth fucking time but uh yeah you guys uh you guys been both seeming like you're uh going down the rabbit hole of the montreal uh faction pretty heavily which is great because i fucking you know, if it's not East Coast, Detroit, I mean, I know a lot about Chicago, but I don't give a fuck. But, uh, but yeah, man, I said, if, if they ain't got the East Coast thing, it's not that I'm not fascinated. It's not that I'm like, not, you know what I mean? But it's, 
it's just one of those things to where I'm, they're you know they're like, yo, we're the Montreal family. I'm like, I'm sure you're very powerful, very very like I uh, shouldn't go crossing you, gentlemen. But you know, I'm cool. I think they're highly. I think they're highly underrated and overlooked. They um, you know, like especially the Rizzuto crime family. They were a fucking Listen, powerhouse. I mean, the Rizzuto's literally um, ran a billion dollars. Piece of connection wouldn't have, wouldn't have happened. They they were an integral part of both of those um connections. Um, oh no, no, no argument here. I just, it's just uh, like the, the, Canada, the Canada setting doesn't do it for me. You know what I mean? It's hard. Like. Like I love watching documentaries about yeah. you know uh, like the Boston mob. I like I love fucking like the the ambiance of Boston or like New York. You know what I mean? I'll I'll even slum and go over across the bridge and I'll, I'll fuck around in Jersey if I got it. <laughs> Shout out to all my Jersey people. Uh, you know Philly, all that. I guess I just like East Coast accents. You know I'm from the Midwest, so I know a lot about the Midwest factions like Cleveland and Chicago and Detroit. I fucking <laughs> Detroit. Yeah. Oh, uh, no, yeah, no. We don't no, have an yeah, accent. No you do. Over there. But uh, I did see a couple of law enforcement officers. I swore them. So though. the thing I, is, I really in, another thing in respect to Chicago and Montreal is Chicago were never known as the Six Family. And, and they were there at that's the true. start. That's, that's, true. that's how big Montreal no, becomes. The Chicago but, were there from day yeah. one. Uh, Montreal. Yeah. Banana. Montreal was basically a branch of the um of the Bonanno crime family. And that was what I was talking about about uh the Jack Lupino and everything. Um it was Buffalo boss Stefano Magadino and uh Bonanno boss Joe Bonanno. They were uh fifth cousins, I wanna say some something. Pretty sure but, cousins um, only go to third. They just, they absolutely um, hated each other though. And um and about Jack Lupino, um, in 1967, like I was saying, the police listened in on the microphones hidden his, in, in his uh, tomato plants around his house on Ottawa Street North in Hamilton, Ontario. Lupino was talking about a wedding that he recently attended in New York with his boss, Stefano Magadino, who was angry that night because he invited Montreal Mafia boss Vicatroni and Paolo Violi to the wedding, but they didn't show up. Um, the highlight of Jack's night was when uh, Magadino spent 20 minutes with him. And he talked to him about how Vic Catroni and Paul Violi, you know, they need to make a choice. Who are they going to side with? They're going to side with Magadino or are they going to side with Bonanno? They couldn't be loyal. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's normally vote. how it goes. The one that's been getting me, it's, uh, I mean, not that I hadn't recently studied up on it, but I'm nearing the end of my uh, Carmine, you know, Carmine the Snake Persigo book. And then, the other day, I was fucking around and watching uh, good old Vlad TV. I don't know if either of you guys uh, privy him on YouTube. But uh, Vlad, shout out Vlad. If you ever fucking hear this, you the man, man. Have me on. Fuck, shit. I'll, you, yeah, you, don't, you are not going to interview me. Whoever can interview me, I don't give a shit. But uh, I seen a uh, big shout out to this son of a bitch, too. Uh, I seen Larry Mazza's uh, uh, Vlad interview. Uh, big shout out to Larry Mazza, the author of fucking uh, The Life. Uh, hitman for Greg Scarpa in the during the third strut, yeah. uh, the third Columbo War. Is it the third Columbo? That that family couldn't stop fucking shooting. So. Do you know what? Um, uh, talking of in interviews as well, I had such an absolute pleasure and delight when I was talking to Ori Spardo, um, the Hollywood fixer. I mean, what an absolute gentleman that guy is. And I'm not just talking about through the interview. I'm obviously. Um, outside the interview as well, where we had to build up to the interview, and I was I was speaking to him on the phone. Um, and we were speaking on uh, um, FaceTime and that. It just an absolute 
legend. Um, and what would it take to get him on here? I mean, I know he probably likes a more professional setting. I can chirp. Yeah. Him. Hey, hey. The guy for such a long time and it's like I, I part my own barrier um, of, of having the nuts to speak to him and ask him for an interview but I eventually did I thought oh, what have I got to lose kind of thing and I I, oh, I, 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 I beat myself up over it because it was like the guy was such a nice guy um, and and you can tell when someone's faking being a nice guy, can't you? And, and as I say, off screen, he was he was just an incredible guy. And so top, 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 top respect to Ori Spider. And thank you very much again, Ori. It's just, it was an absolute pleasure and delight to speak to him. And yeah, you should be here. Hey man, what, whenever you're free, whenever you're free, my brother, I'd I'd love to have you on Wise Guys Hideaway. Tell your story. Uh, I mean, if David speaks highly on your name, I've I've, I've obviously you know, clicked on his links and watched this stuff like that. He does, mm. he does seem like a true to blue gentleman. Uh, I was never, uh, was never on my roster. I, I guess I'm like more of a, I like that seventies, eighties fucking wild, like wild west, wild west there. They like, cause like uh, the, like before COVID hit, right before COVID hit, I was going to pay to fly Larry Mazza to my house. So I could like mm. sit down and have a one-on-one interview with him. And he was like, you'll actually do that. I was like, no, I was like, absolutely. I was like, I'll play for you. I'll pay for yours and your wife's, you know, plane tickets. Who's a very lovely lady, by the way. She's a real sweetheart. And he was all like, he's like, sounds like a plan. He's all like, uh, dinner on me. And then boom, COVID hit. Everything hit lockdown. Shit got locked down. And then he started getting like, you know, deals that are actually like worth a fuck. <laughs> so he's, he started taking some of those. It's not like he's put, like, put me on blast or put me on the back burner or nothing. He just saw like, I just got to find time. Uh. Same with Seth Ferranti. I need to get. I really need to get Seth on here whenever his projects line him into being, you know, ready to come on and do a fucking do an episode with us because uh, that's my dude. As well as Ciro DiPaggio. Big shout out to the Mob King as well. But uh, I mean, we all know. We all know my fucking my white buffalo. We all know the light at the end of this fucking guy's tunnel, man. Sammy the Bull. I don't. You know what I mean? Like it's the shit. I've been watching Sammy's YouTube videos. I love how much he says bro. I hope he did that his whole life. Like, Sammy, if you're listening to this, I hope you're not, like, hopping on this <laughs> kick to where you're, like, you know, uh, like, well, guys just say bro all the time. I really hope these, like, these mobsters were walking around still referring to each other like, bro, dude, hey, come here. What are you doing? Bro, bro. But, like, you're in these fucking, you know, oh, man. Did you, <laughs> did you watch the one where he was talking about how they – uh? They went to like hold up uh, like a drug den and no drugs ever really showed up. No, nothing ever showed up. So like they made the kids put their jeans in the bathtub, like soaking water or whatever. But like they like the girls didn't want to strip. So he made the one girl pinky promise them and gave her a bullet. And then like they get arrested a few days later and they fucking they're at the, the precinct and they bring the kids in. And uh, Sammy and uh, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure it's Alley Boy. I'm not sure. They were like, well, fuck, we're going to prison. That's it. We're, we're getting 50 fucking years. <laughs> And they come out, and the fucking detectives are like, "You guys are good to go." No, they don't want to. They don't want to give a statement. And the girl fucking had the bullet that uh, he had given her on a necklace, and like put her pinky up for the pinky swear. And then like uh, Alley Boy or whoever was giving him fucking shit about it is all like, "Wait till we get back to the club." And I, I tell everybody that you know you pinky swore. It's like don't you know fucking. But just how much he says, bro, and dude, and stuff like that. Like, like I love it. Like he's either he's either like trying to blend into the new like era really really well. And doing doing a solid ass job at it, or uh, or that's hilarious to think of like 
all the way along, you know, guys have always talked like guys, no matter what lifestyle it is, and a couple of mobsters sitting around like, bro, no, what I'm are we gonna be do? Honest. I, bro, I just we gonna, like, don't like you know. the guy whatsoever. <laughs> I, I, I mean, hey, everybody, to each their own. Is, I mean, I get you. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not I'm, really a fan either, but I mean, it's just. You know, without these guys, we wouldn't have the whole story to think. You know, I'm not saying he always speaks the truth or I not, but, like, I, I really enjoyed his book. I read it twice. I really enjoyed fiction. I think some of it – I think – I mean, you, you you do what you do, right? Like, you you oversell – oh, I got some – Oh, Jesus. No, thank you, man. Thank you. But, I mean, it's, I mean, it's like anything. It's like, a, you know, if we, if we took the real Henry Hill stories, well, I mean, I, I know a couple of guys at Robert's Lounge, and, they, I mean, I set them up with about, yeah, you know, the love times. That, like, that's it. That's all you did. That's it. Congratulations. You know, like. If he never ratted, I think everybody again, would believe though, what, he, how many, what he said. How, you know what I mean? Because before he was a rat, he was and and say, a stand-up guy. One form or another, none of them have been a rat. <laughs> um yeah well that's like we were talking about earlier that everybody would to be surprised if they realized the how way. many times or what it's know, like to be facing to deal with years. everybody can talk really really big and really really tough until they're like you know you're and you're not already in prison you're not already doing the world's longest stretch to begin with like a carmine person ago so who gives a fuck no you just is you just the every like think think oh who was it uh uh, uh Bruno and Delicato was I, I think the one in the commission trial the only one that like wasn't a boss wasn't a anything wasn't a, and still ended up getting like fifty years for his participation in like the Carmine hit like I'd be fucking pissed I'd be furious I'd be like all you big fucking bosses living high on the hog fucking want to you know you want to rob from me and steal from me and backdoor me and then now that fucking shit's on trial I still got to end up here like what the fuck you know like. Granted, uh, I'm pretty sure it was Bruno. I'm not 100. percent See, but... and and that if you're gonna if you're gonna sort issues out, you do it with the gun, and you don't do it with your tongue, do you? <laughs> you 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 just deal with it. You don't go to the authorities, or we should get caught. And really, it should be the it's like um, uh, uh, Thomas Obisqueta when he was in Brazil. He tried killing himself before he was dragged back to America. Uh, and, and sorry, Italy. So you don't buy Sammy's story about how when he sat down to make the list of the people that would have to die if they made a move on John, and when once he started writing uh, like John Junior and shit like that, that like it was just, he couldn't that he couldn't fathom it. You think that's just no. really? Yeah, that was I don't. Pretty I don't know if I believe that, that story. That I don't. Uh, um, that I, don't but I, I don't. Yeah, I don't buy some. I do buy that uh, Louis Melito probably did fuck him up more than like any of us will give him credit for. It. We don't. Like you're still gonna be like no way because like he's got that stone face man you a killer you fucking you a soldier you were trained like this but ain't no way that that didn't fuck and I do actually understand like the whole concept of uh, like well if it was your brother in law your best friend why would you want to be there it's like so that some other sick up and coming fuck doesn't like really make their bones on this guy that I love like you know what I mean like it, you know if, if I'm fucking around and like I I just you know I I blow my wad it's done like I'm 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 going one way or the other. And it's either you two that got to take me out who actually do love me and do have respect for me and do it's like, I mean, you're still going to kill me. So how much love and respect can you really have? I get that. But two behind the ear, he goes to sleep. He never wakes up as opposed to 
we ship them over to fucking DeMeo's and fucking they're going to hit them with the old Gemini, which I mean, I guess it's still quick in a sense too, but you guys know. Here's the thing, right? If you, um, obviously they wouldn't have made as much money, but they still made money elsewhere. But if you take the drugs out of the mafia, um, do you think they'll still be as strong these days? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I don't think they. I don't think they would ever been them as strong except for that, up, that period of time where they had like where they had where they had the unions on lockdown, where they had them like locked lockdown. Not the not that when they were starting to work into them or like when they started to sort of die out of them. But no, that mid stretch from like fifty five, fifty six to like mid to late eighties when the commission case and all that comes down. Like that, that little, period built Vegas. What's up? Vegas was built on the back of union money. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! Absolutely, absolutely, hundred percent. Well, I mean, I don't know what uh, what was it, mm-hmm. or was it built the first time off the bat? Well, yeah, of, yeah, yeah. But like, I mean, a lot of the money, money that was used and borrowed come from the pension fund, didn't it? The team's pension fund. They used the pension fund to build, or oh, if yeah. you like, no, absolutely, re remodernize Las Vegas to what it is today. Yeah, I just hate people not giving uh, Siegel credit where it's where it's due. A lot of people I still sort of dog him out, like. Vegas. I think that had, I think that had more What's to up? do with her and, and and the way she died um, in very similar circumstances to Marilyn Monroe, which answers more um, leaves more questions than it does answers. If that, uh, yeah, doesn't make sense because um, she just died. She was out skiing and like died. <laughs> um, and I, I I think Virginia had a lot more to do with um, what was going wrong in Vegas than rather than what was going right. Yeah, did she die? Uh, who is that? Did you say Virginia was Sonny, out skiing? Sonny when she died? is the one who died skiing. No, she was found in the. It was still dodgy, though. Yeah, yeah. She, she I, was I found in the water. It, it was she, she um, died in, in in dodgy circumstances. You know, supposedly it was uh, uh, um, suicide. Her jacket. Uh, uh, as I said, I won't yeah, hundred percent sure it was her, the skiing one, but I do. <laughs> Yeah, it's alleged to have been a drug overdose, just like Marilyn Monroe's was uh, alleged to be a drug overdose. But uh, supposedly Bobby Kennedy was at Marilyn Monroe's the, the night it uh, happened. And I don't know how true it is, but one thing that gives the story a little bit of uh, credit is he, I, I read, he was I in read, a car that was pulled rumor, over that night um, in, uh, in Marilyn LA. Marilyn Monroe was a Chicago outfit so linked to John from. Yeah, I can see that. I could definitely see that because uh, Giancana yeah, it, liked, uh, it liked to mingle me. with, uh, you know, high to do celebrity type gals and like celebrity gals are friends with celebrity gals. So, you know what I mean? Well, she was, she, because um, Virginia as yeah. well. Virginia and Sinatra was, um, was one of the uh, go-betweens. Al Capone's so accountant, wasn't she, at one point. And then she got, she got sent to Vegas. She got sent to Vegas for me in a similar way. That I don't know Marilyn if she was Monroe an account, but I know JFK. she was a carrier. That's, 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 I mean, I, I think Chicago had a lot more to play with that. Yeah, I just, I just, a lot of people seem, it seems like the, like the further and further I go into research, yeah, and this, she, I find a lot of people who sort of just like knock fucking 
Bugsy, like, just kind of, like, knock him like, a, oh, he was just a fucking this and that, and they threw him out there, you know, and he fought, he didn't really, it really wasn't his brainchild, it was fucking blah, 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 like, I don't think it was as much Lansky's and fucking Luciano's idea as it was Seagull's, like, just because a motherfucker isn't, you know, knocking him out of the park every single time they're up to bat, every once in a while, a motherfucker's got, look, look at Luciano, other than, like, hey, let's actually organize this shit, and let's actually come together, and let's actually set a precedent what ideas did he really have that were so next level? Not many. I'm going to lose a lot of fans <laughs> on that one, too. But other than the actual organization of crime, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, everybody. Yeah, everybody says it was his vision and all that. And I, I think, you know, no. it did have a lot to do no, with no, it. No, but, but there was the, also. The making the it the, wasn't the first destination, destination in for Americans. Like, I really do think Bugsy Siegel. Bugsy Siegel. Seeing Vegas for what Vegas even became in in this day and age, where it was you know rebought out with junk, you know set up like almost like a, a Disneyland. Maybe not quite so much the Disneyland ish part, but the, the, of it. the sort of uh, what would yeah, like not he he knew it didn't need to be. Well, well, I mean, they were all wooden shacks, wouldn't they? I mean, it was like we see on the old westerns. Yeah. That's what Vegas used to look like, even though they still yeah, had I mean, casinos it... there. That's what Vegas looked like, just wooden shacks. Yeah, that was the first uh, mob back casino in Vegas. So he did have a big part, a big part of what Vegas is today, and then what all the mobsters followed in the years to come. Because then everybody started getting into casinos. I just feel like he's somebody who's uh, given too much credit than not enough credit. And but and shout out to Casey McBride who who says that he thinks that Bugsy Siegel wasn't as crazy as uh as the likeness portrays, I, I disagree, but I got mad love for Casey. Big shout out to him. Thank you again for the intro and uh, shout out to, you know, uncle Frank's place. But, uh, but yeah, I think he was definitely, definitely just not the right ethnicity, not the right culture for what he envisioned and needed to be done and needed to, you know what I mean? Like it, uh, it was, it was a dangerous game he was playing. You know what I mean? Uh, and Living fast, I guess, man. But like that's I was talking to somebody about that the other day that Vegas is one of my favorite cities and favorite auras because it brings down every single gangster ever. Yeah. Ever. It's too much. It's too much vice and misery and, and party and money. And it, it, it just seems that like even when I research like just speaking. One survived, but What's then you've got a question whether he was organized crime or not. Mo Dykes. Steve Gwynn. Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, Steve, yeah, yeah. Steve Gwynn hadn't done too bad either, is he? Yeah, I mean, they were more... You classify them as gangsters, or do you put them more as, like, racketeers who really really wrote a, a, an edgy... Because I'm talking about, like, the Yeah, people, no, I know what you mean. Philosophy. I know the casino uh, time. I know what you mean, Ian. But no, I'm just saying that um, there, yeah. there were some that played the game smart. Yeah, and yeah, and that's where like I guess that's where like I I split split the hairs on a on a racketeer no, versus uh, a gangster. Like a lot of people want to say Paul Castellano's a racketeer. I don't agree. I think Paul Castellano's actually a gangster. Yeah, he's responsible for number killings. There's a yeah, but uh, like Meyer Lansky, I I I personally don't classify Lansky as a gangster. I classify him as a as a racketeer and almost a Warren Buffett. Type, he, he was you know? he. Uh, I, I mean, I spoke about Robert Calvi earlier being the God's banker, uh, working for like the Sicilian Mafia, if you like, for the Vatican and the, and the Italian bank. But 
Mylanski was the same uh, in the way that Frank Costello was, if you like, um, in charge of the law enforcement. Um, Mylanski was in, in charge of the Wall Street side of the mafia. <laughs> Does it ever bother you guys that it, that it does seem like it's a bit of a myth and a mystique that like all these people uh, have have killed and caught so many bodies? Like like a Frank Costello, you telling me by the time Frank Costello Costello takes his seat in power, he's he's killed. I don't know if he's killed anybody. In my personal opinion, I've ordered him, sure, been a part of. Why not? But we gonna tell me he's actually pulled the trigger on any any more than uh, tops? I'm giving him five. Yeah, I mean. You bumped your fucking head, in my personal opinion. But like a Vito Genovese, there's not really a number that you could tell me that I wouldn't be able to reasonably be like, yeah, no, that may, you know, or an Albert Anastasia, or you know, something like that. Like, it, it, it it's kind of because like every, it's, it's just this huge misconception that like every single person that ever, you know, uh, made it to boss or made it to a captain or made it, they had to be a killer. They had there's to more than one way to show. Streetness, uh, street smarts, and and it, uh, at the end of the day, to kill someone is a failure, isn't it? If you, you if you're having to kill someone, obviously something's gone wrong. Um, that was. Fuck, who, I, I mean, who was like one of the best negotiators? I mean, one of the best negotiators was Delacroix, wasn't he? He, he, he you, you got to argue that he was up there with one of the best negotiators, one of the best, I suppose, consigliers, even though he wasn't. Oh, 100%. But violence also did not phase that man in the lead. I think violence for someone like Costello would make, I feel like his. Yeah, like his yeah I agree with that. You know what I mean? And yet with Costello, no one in New York become a judge without his say so. So you, you don't need violence. I know. That, that's what's. That's what's how, how is that not working with law enforcement? How is that not. How does that work? <laughs> You've got judges in your pocket. I mean, because I, I, guess, I guess when you're the. Uh, when you are the law enforcement, like when you're putting your guys there, it's kind of like being like uh, that. I mean, that was that was a big thing for Gotti. Uh, Rob, <laughs> correct me if I misquote, but one one of his big things, like uh, he he didn't want anything legitimate, really. You know, what I mean, he he didn't mind taking the money once he was boss. Don't get me wrong, nothing like that. But he's like, you guys, you think I got some like upbeat to be some sort of suit and tie wearing businessman? The fuck out of here. You know what I mean, like. Like I'm a gangster. Like I'm, I, I, I'm gonna run numbers. I'm gonna hijack trucks. I'm gonna rob banks. You know, like. Yeah, he he, he wasn't big for legitimate business at all. Like he used to always tell Junior that when, um, whenever he seen a guy that was really stacking money, saving money, illegitimate. worrying about saving money, worrying about his, like, well, where's this guy going? What's his plans? What's he doing? We all we all know the outcome of this life if you're really about this yeah, life. And. and <laughs> You ain't I think, taking, you I think ain't it goes well. I, I mean, I don't know how big it's going to come back again because law enforcement has got to the, the, the corruption has been as so much removed from law enforcement over the years, um, and I think that's one of the reasons why they've been able to start winning the battles against organised crime because of that corruption that's become less and less. Because if you look back, um, you can turn around and, and there's a good argument to say that organised crime was born out of um, all of these individual gangs that worked for um, the politicians, the local politicians, um, the local governor, whatever, um, to ensure that the votes went to the right person. And then prohibition enabled all of these disorganised gangs working separately to then start grouping up and making it a national thing. 
and then they become the power the mafia the, the organized crime become the power in america and that was when it was its strongest when it held positions of those types of power when if you like they had men um on capitol hill they had men in washington dc they had men sitting at the top of, of like the judges, no yeah, jobs. your fucking your nephew, your <clears throat> nephew's brother wasn't even as wasn't even associated, didn't even never committed a crime in his life. But he's not the smartest kid, he needs a little help getting started. He just turned 18, he's got a no show job at the Twin Towers, you know what I mean? But like, once yeah, once no, they I, removed, I feel, once they started to remove the corruption from law enforcement, that's when they started to win the battle, and that's why I, I think that if you like the pendulum where it swings both ways over the last couple of centuries. Um, and, and if you look at Sicily as well, um, it was only when the Sicilian Mafia in, under uh, Riina started taking out the judges that the Sicilian Mafia was unearthed and started to be taken on in, in Italy. And now you've got the same with Andrangheta. And they're all, they, they were all quiet at one stage and then they've, they've kind of lost that power where they need it. So they've had to go back to being the street criminals that they once were. But I don't think this time there's enough corruption within law enforcement for them to ever gain power that they had before. There's always going to be Matthew and organised crime, but I don't I, think they will ever, I, ever be as strong as they once were, especially when they had that real position of power in politics and in law enforcement and obviously in, in the judicial system. No, I agree. I, I I would definitely agree. I don't uh if any if anybody's gonna be the next to do that, I would I would give you it can't to, do it without um, the politicians, you know, the, without law enforcement and without the judiciary. You cannot get as much power as what the the, the if you like the Luciano Costello Mylansky days had. That power base that they had then that was no, I agree, ultimate. and I would, but I would say like the Sinaloa cartel and different uh, like uh, uh, Mexican drug cartel groups uh, brandish that same amount of power now. They just the the, the drugs and the guns are so. Powerful but again, Ian, if you look if you look to South America, God. the corruption within law enforcement is is getting less and less, and they're winning more and more battles. You, you're starting to see these bigger names being oh, yeah, taken but, out. But because, you know that and it's Mexico, corruption. It was the corruption within law enforcement that, that's the breeding ground for, for organized crime. It's as simple as that. You cannot, um, even if you include customs, you need bent customs officer to transport drugs around the world. Um, you need bent law enforcement to be able to com commit crime at that level, in my opinion. Um, so, the less corruption yeah, no, no, you, you do, remove, you the more corruption that, uh, you remove, the diff more difficult yeah. <laughs> it is. And I think that's what we're starting to see. Less corruption in law enforcement. Not that the mafias have got worse, organised crimes got worse. It's just that law enforcement starting to behave itself and actually do the job it's meant to do. You, you do know that the Sinaloa cartel guards and pretty much runs in the same way that like La Costa yeah. Nostra ran uh, the concrete union in New York in the 80s. You do know that they hold a big chunk of the world's lithium hostage, essentially. Right. <laughs> like, and, and eventually these fossil fuels are going to run out. Diesel fuel is going to run out. We're going to need lithium. Lithium is the next step. Mexico, especially around Sinaloa, is ripe with it. You know who controls all those lithium fields? Yeah, and, and, the, same, and, with a, and the same with, with, with the CIA um, controlling the poppy fields in Afghanistan and the Middle East. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. But see, that's one area I don't think the CIA's got 
tapped into yet. Like that's where the Mexican drug cartels are the next, in my personal opinion, they're the next version of the, uh, of the, like the modern American mafia. If anybody has the, the, the wealth and the, I mean, the bodies to throw at it too, for God, Oh my God, you want to talk about numbers, but the, also the sure, sheer will to use violence. If you look at Engelangata now, um, all right, you've got the maxi trial that's going on in Italy, but if you look at yeah, how many geezers are in that, by the way, and on Thursday is. they've arrested another Jesus. fifty, um, which included politicians and business leaders and so on. Uh, Thirteen of those fifty were remanded; thirty-five were given house arrest, but they're going to be obviously added to the the indictment. So it, it's growing, and it's going to continue to grow. Um, and I suppose as the list continues to grow, the list of um, government witnesses is going to start improving because people are going to start flipping the longer the trial goes on. But when you when you look at Andranga, I mean, in no time at all, if you look back, they only really become prominent back in, they were just a, a, a cigarette smuggling operation back in the day. And yet since kind of 1985, 1986, they're the now, I would argue, one of the most powerful mafias in the world. Um, and and from nowhere. And I think what you're seeing is is the um, Mexican cartels following that same path. And they're because there's there's a there's a worldwide operation to be grabbed because law enforcement are winning the battles and they're starting to remove the international power that some of these organized crime organize uh, these crime organizations have. And I think the doors open for the Mexican cartels to walk in. But once you do that, that's where you get the world's focus. And that's what happened to Andranga. Um, and there's such more cooperation now between law enforcement. Again, once the corruption has been removed, that they're able to shut them down. Um, these raids that took place in respect to the Maxi trial didn't just take place in Italy. They took place in Holland, in Germany, um, in France. They took place across Europe all at the same time. Two and a half thousand um, paramilitary uh, from the Italian troops from the paramilitary were used um, in order to maintain, uh, to obtain those raids. So um, you're not, it weren't even the Carabinieri that they used. They used paramilitary forces to induct the raids across Europe. So um, yeah, I think the, the doors open for the Mexican cartel to walk through it. But once they do, the world gaze is going to be on them. Oh yeah, I mean abs- absolutely, Rob. What do you think? <laughs> I agree. Oh come on, you gotta give me fucking. That's why we're playing K on a text. K. <laughs> Sorry, I that's, did go off on tangent then. K. He's like, not as wicked. Oh, yeah, that's as wicked awesome. This is uh, gonna be one of our longest episodes ever. Almost Sweet. On a, uh, hour and a half. Yeah. No. I'm, uh, I was getting. Yeah. I was getting ready to fucking like sort of wrap it up here soon, and we'll. Uh, I mean, we'll we'll get after it. We'll fucking do a part two while I'm out in Colorado. I'm fucking, I'm down to keep summing up like this month, and then fucking, uh, come next month. Uh, but when are you gonna uh be back? I'll be back the first. I'm going just through, through yeah, through cool. the next week. Do you know what? Having said that, guys, um, this is probably, in respect of being unscripted and everything else, one of the best shows we've had. <laughs> Oh yeah, man. Well, fuck. I'm doing three pot, three different podcasts at this point. I would hope I'd be getting better and smoother at it. Jesus. Yeah, but you're Pfizer's best friend. 
You get you've got a lawyer on the card with <laughs> prizes or something. Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm talking the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the gold the gold the gold membership. Yeah, fuck yeah, they should be fucking federal. <laughs> Send me free shit. No, but on that note, I'm just gonna take a couple fucking minutes here. Out of not a couple minutes, more or less a couple seconds out of my fucking time to because my mom asked me the other day about the podcast. And a lot of people ask me, they're like, Man, why you why are you so open about like your drug abuse and your drug use and like the way you live your life? I'm like, man, cause it like if it's if it makes you laugh because you can relate, then like, hey man, I'm sorry, we're fuck we're in this together. We'll fuck we'll figure it out. But if it if it makes you like laugh or like feel some type of way because like you can't relate and you're just like, oh, this guy's wild, it's like I'm I'm happy for you. But for anybody that's sort of on that fence, uh, especially with pharmaceuticals, uh, I mean, you you a grown ass. But if you're a kid, for one, you shouldn't be listening to me. And if you're a kid, get some fucking help. Don't say no to the Percocets. Say no to the Zans. Say no to the the Adderalls. Say no to all that. You know what I mean? Like do do what I didn't. But for anybody that's on the fence. That's a, you know, a grown ass person, you're a grown ass person, like do, do what you want. But I mean, just know that fucking, you know, it, it, it there's some shit that ain't no coming back. From, there are consequences. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause there are con- like, cause there are consequences and like as much fun as I have and as many jokes as I tell as me, I mean, there, there are times it gets me down, but also if there's one thing, any fucking halfway house jail, NAAA, anything's taught me, it's you mm-hmm. have to want to quit your said, it, like anything I wanted to put down that was like, you know what? I'm just done with this. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't, I don't smoke cigs no more. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I just don't. And can I just say on that point, like, Ian, uh, in like respect to myself and not to speak up for Rob, but in respect to myself and Rob, um, we don't judge you because at the end of the day, um, you're our mate and that's why we're there for you. Um, and obviously whenever you take that decision, whatever decision you want to take, whether you want to turn your life around and get off of it or not, we're always going to be with you. And and that's yeah. what friendships about. When and that's what people um, in certain situations need. They need people around them just to be around. They don't need people to judge. They don't need people to tell them what to do. They're, they're grown ass, like you said, Ian, and and they don't need telling what to do. They just need people around them. Absolutely, absolutely. I just want to be a cautionary tale for the people that they're still on that fence line, if you know what I mean, to where it's like. They could, they could up and they could just up and stop tomorrow. And it's like, it, it'd be like giving up fucking something, you know, small or insignificant to them. Like, it, it, if you feel like it's starting to drain your life, like if it, it fucking, you know, once, uh, one, once the shit stops, you know, being fun and it just starts making you functioning. And like, and I always did, you know, I've always had ADHD. And so, like, when I got introduced to Adderall when I was young, it was like, I mean, like the pill, the pills in me went together, like, hand in hand because i mean that fucking was the reason i was facing two years in prison anyways because my senior year i got caught with fucking weed at school they wanted to make an example out of me i fucking you know what i mean oh man real easy to fall into and they like He's breaking that's, up. Why I, that's why i talk about it so that's why i make like i make jokes they are cavalier i am genuinely joking for the most part because i am relatively happy with my life you know what I mean? I, I could be making some different choices. I could be. I mean, but I also got fucked up heroes, man. Hunter S. Thompson fucking sniffed cocaine and dropped a hit of acid every single day his entire life until he blew his brains out. You know what I mean? Like, so, yeah, I mean, he did. Look up Hunter S. Thompson's daily routine. You know what I mean? Right. But, uh, but no, if, if anybody out there, man, if you're fucking, if you're struggling, Just if you don't know who to turn to, if, 
NA and AA ain't for you because I get that because nothing made me want to get high more than fucking going to a meeting full of people talking about how they used to get high. That fucking shit drives me nuts. Drives me nuts. And it works for some people. And if it works for you, hey, it works for you. Fucking what the good of the fucking, you know. But like, yeah, but I can't just do that. I can't, you know, I can't sit in there and and wallow in my fucking used to be beer. It's like we might as well be fucking drinking and getting high. You guys are miserable anyway. You know what I mean? But that's not for me to say either. It's their life. But I just wanted to do a quick little. Little PSA about that. I've, I've been doing it on all the podcasts lately because I mean, yeah, I mean, especially out here with uh with these pharmaceuticals, man, you gotta be careful if you don't if you don't go to a doctor or, like have a solid uh solid way of you know funding your scripts, getting your scripts like I do. You uh you risk buying fentanyl like shit off the streets, and those three Vicodin that you normally take now pressed with fentanyl are gonna <laughs> do you trust me that yeah that headache's gonna go away. Every, the lot's gonna go away. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. But no, that's that's why I get on here and chop it up with you guys and talk shit with you guys. And then I'm hopefully when I run into people like good old Casey McBride or some people like that, I just make them feel better about themselves. They're like, well, fuck. At least I'm not. At least I'm not off the rails like this kid. Jesus (laughs) Christ. (laughs) You're not off the rails, bro. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so you'll be on vacation yeah, uh, during the week. Well, we'll be back with another episode next weekend because like Colorado is going to change up my time zone. But I think I'll be. Yeah, no, yeah, no, seriously. We're going to keep running it. <laughs> fucking 2021 is our year, boys. So I'm going to keep on podcasting and keep on fucking just yes. sending it, as I like to say. <laughs> I'm fucking with my one buddy when we do the movie buff bromance podcast. It's funny. Cause he's going back through and trying to be so analytical and this and that. He's like, man, how did you ever get over like hearing your mistakes or listening? I'm like, Oh man, I don't, I don't fucking listen to these things. Like, you know, I listen to other, I listen to other people's podcasts. Like I listen to the Last podcast time, Dave think, sends me. I listen to, to Rogan. I listen to Scott M. Bernstein. I listen to, you know I mean? I watch Vlad. Like I ain't going back and fucking listening to myself. No, no, no. I do a play through <laughs> to make sure that like the, the, the speakers, we're picking up and that like the whole episode, I'm not just like blank or dead or, you know what I mean? I, like I give a few minute listening, but then like, yeah, she gone, man. I don't want, that's the, that's the beauty of it is fucking, I've actually had a fun experience with my shit being put in quotes to me and me being like, damn, I, I did say that bullshit. You know what I mean? Like, and it was, it was on a good note. It was uh, for the high, the hockey podcast. My one buddy, uh, Trevor's red big shout out Trevor's. He was all like, he put in quotations, he's all like, Bob Probert was like the last of the Mohicans, uh, a Viking on ice, and uh, nobody and nothing could ever stop from getting rolled over by that, uh, how would I put it? Nothing could ever, no one or nothing could ever stop from getting rolled over by that uh, freight train that was uh, number 24. And I was all like, I was like, damn, man, that's a solid quote. Wonder where he got that from. And then I look up and I'm all like, oh, this is my fucking podcast link. And it's in quotation marks. And he's all like, I fucking love that line, bro. And I was all like, I, I did say that shit, didn't I? Like, you know, it's it's a cool feeling. I fucking love podcasting. I'm really happy I got into it. I'm real happy you two fucks came to join me, especially you, Rob. David was the easy sell. He's got a voice from God. So you do. You do. You got right. fucking... You have a terrific narrating voice. They didn't ask me to fucking host the NCS <laughs> podcast. I noticed. I've seen you've noticed. <laughs> uh, uh, do you know what? I've got. Um, I've. I, I, that was an idea no, that was honey, mine no, anyway. 100%. So I've got to take that one. No, no, no. I, don't normally dude, I love all your shit. All um, of actually, I do love my sister's actually real interested in some of the work you do 
like w- within the prison stuff like that. My sister Emily and her husband Ben, they're uh, both going to become uh, lawyers. So uh, yeah, so they're real interested with cool. some of the shit you do because they're real uh, activists, you know, save the world types. Far, far cry from myself. I'm like, burn it down. They're like, Ian, shouldn't you? I'm like, I try to save the children. <laughs> my my goal ain't that big. <laughs> I just want to, um, I just want to make sure that prisoners get a good bum for their money, and that they, uh, at the end of the day, most of our prisons are full. And as we discussed earlier, that most of our prisons are full of, of, of victims of circumstance, of victims of society themselves, and really, it's. It is victims that produce victims that produce victims. And once we start producing fewer victims, less victims will be produced in the future. Um, and and the only way that that can start is through early intervention. Um, and, and let's start dealing with the issues when they're still children um, and not having to try and fix them when they're adults and normally in prison as well. So um, I think that um, society needs to understand that um, it is their responsibility that prisons exist and it's also society's responsibility to make sure that those within our prison receive as much opportunity and possibilities as they can to turn their lives around because it comes it comes down to only one mistake sometimes and who hasn't made a mistake in life it just means that you've been lucky with your punishment oh, yeah. over, over yeah. someone else with theirs no 100% 100% no I, I I mean I agree wholeheartedly because I mean if we're exactly, not going to yep try to actually rehabilitate these people and this is just going to become like a, this a way of life then we might as well like this this is going to be a little harsh but uh, i mean might as well just kill somebody like in, i mean instead of institutionalizing them you know making them feel like you know a, a sort of a throwaway to society <laughs> and like oh it doesn't matter what you do because you're a fucking because you're a lost cause anyway that's right there you go slip it in <laughs> slip it on in lost cause productions baby it's it's coming. Bring it to your ass. Well, damn, boys, we did a hundred fucking minutes on this thing. All right. Yeah. Let's no, bring it to a close. I'm, I'm rambling at this point. Any shout outs anybody need to give? Are we all straight? Yeah, I got. I, I got to sign off. Yeah, 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 we've done it through the show, haven't we? All right, boys. Well, I'll get with we'll you next weekend for all our listeners who sat through all this fucking nonsense. I appreciate you. We love you. I love you, boys. Fucking be <laughs> safe. I'll be sending you guys fucking pictures. Take Love it easy. Too, Bob.